Thank you for joining us today. This is Clint Byers, lead pastor of Forward Church. I pray this message blesses and encourages you. I hope it inspires transformative grace in your heart and establishes you even deeper in your new covenant identity in Christ. Now take a deep breath, become aware of God's spirit within you, and enjoy the message. Let me, let me set up this idea of nurture what's good. This is what I want to talk about today. We promoted kind of this idea of the miracles of Jesus, <clears throat> and I'm still going to kind of talk about that, but maybe come at it from a, a little bit of a different angle. You know, I want to talk about, I just really feel like the Lord put on my heart, the parable of the wheat and the tares, which is, you know, good fruit versus the weeds. And there's so many different applications of that, and certainly in life in general about what are you going to focus on? Are you going to nurture what's good, or are you going to respond to the evil and let that dictate your worldview? Ultimately, that's the bottom line of where we're going today is you have a choice of what you're going to let grow in your life because there are legitimate things that happen, unjust, tragic, difficult, legitimate things that happen, and are we going to let that stuff define our life and world even though they are very defining moments in our lives? What are we going to let our lives be built on? Right? So that's kind of what I, where I want to go today. So let me, let's start here in Matthew 13. Uh, if you want to follow along, you can. You can look at the screens also. <clears throat> so this is Jesus. I, this is, I, I love this section, you know, because Mark 4 and Matthew 13 mirror each other in Scripture. It's Jesus talking about the parables of the kingdom. Both passages, both selections in Scripture, he's talking to his disciples and he's telling them, publicly he teaches about the sower, the parable of the sower, and the four different conditions of soil and responses to the, the word being sown. But then privately, he explains to his disciples the secret or the mystery of the kingdom. And the mystery of the kingdom is such, it is pretty much, once you dissect it all out and look at it, the mystery of the kingdom is this. The word of God gets sown in your heart and the, re the receptivity of your heart to the word determines the degree of the kingdom that you will experience in this life. Some 30, some 60, some 100. Now, we're not talking about you sow into the right ministry to get your hundredfold return, as if there's some kind of empty promise or something like that. You know? What we're talking about is predominantly righteousness, peace, and joy being birthed back into your life, bearing the fruits of the Spirit 30, some 60, some hundredfold, and experiencing the character and the nature and the provision of God in this earth. God, has, God is like a fire hydrant, and you can drink as much as you, you, you will let yourself drink. I think it's ringing just a little bit if you want to turn me down a little bit. And, and so, you know, a lot of times because of the sheer volume or because of our theology, we're looking out here externally and we're trying to, you know, wonder what God's doing, and we say it all the time, but trying to discern God's will through external circumstances is like the least effective way to determine God's will. If you want to know what God's will is, look at Jesus. How did Jesus treat people? He is the perfect representation of the invisible God. And there's all types of theology that gets built out of Jesus. Jesus is where we build all of our theology about God. Amen? Not circumstances. We don't have the luxury of building circumstantial theology based on something that happened. Even if we think we learned something from a tragedy, and I pray that we do, it's still got to be how does this come from Jesus, right? All right, so this idea of nurturing what's good, let's read this parable and then, and then we'll unpack this a bit. Matthew 13, starting in 26. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in the field? Where then did the weeds or tares come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? So Jesus is teaching about the mystery of the kingdom. He's talking about sowing the word in your heart. And in general, these, but the, also the kingdom is such that how do we understand God in light of evil? How do we understand the goodness of God in light of the state of the world? 
And this is really what he's talking about, you know. That, so how we understand who God is will determine the filters and the lenses through which we look at life. You have to have that eternal, spiritual, redemptive lens when you're looking at the world because ultimately that's the stuff that's going to last. That which is eternal outlasts that which is temporary. And what is eternal? Eternal life, the love that we will experience between us and the Father. There is no sickness. There is no darkness. There is no depression. There is no loss in eternity, right? But it's here. So how do we balance that out, you know? In this place, we very strongly focus on none of that is from God. It's the good gifts that come down from the Father of lights. The condition of the world is reflective of God having given dominion to mankind. And we're in this collaborative effort now with the Holy Spirit, and we're not doing that good of a job. The world is in the condition that it's in not because of God's will, but because of Him giving it to us, and we've done a pretty bad job of managing it. Uh, so you look at these parables to understand how to look at situations. So let's keep going here. The, the servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds, tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Now, there, there's like three major different applications that you can look at. There's probably more. There's lots of nuanced application in terms of wheat and tear mindset. But here, you know, we use this to, this, you know, a lot of what Christianity does is causes us to accuse God and question God. So if you look at that, that's in here. They go to, essentially, the owner. They go to God. They go to Jesus, and they say, uh, didn't you sow good seed? Why are bad things happening? If God is good, why are bad things happening? That's the mindset in this. That's the mindset of most of the world, especially the anti-God world or the non-Christian world and even a lot of the Christian world. Well, God, if you're good, then why does this happen? And he's like, well, that's because I gave it to you and you broke it, but I'll fix it. Just hang tight. Walk with me. Amen. But a different level is understanding how to deal with life. So the second, verse, the second section, one more time. No, he answered, because while you're pulling up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat to bring it into my barn. So there are, main, there are two main takeaways that I want to focus on today. By the way, he does give the explanation to his inner circle, which I will read that in a minute, but I want to talk about these things first. Fighting for what is righteous doesn't mean you attack the evil. Now think about our political climate. Think about the injustice that we see. On whatever level that this applies to you, it's kind of a broader picture of what I feel like the Lord laid on my heart for this week Think even, even in your own life, maybe even in your own mind and heart, man, we go on the attack and we think I've got to attack the evil in order for righteousness or justice to have a place at the table, right? And it's like, not, not necessarily, not necessarily. You can nurture the good. You can focus on what you're thankful for. You can focus on righteousness and the fruits of the spirit. And as it all plays itself out, as we see in the wheat and the tares, the tares and the weeds will bear themselves self-evident. They will be self-evident for what they are, for the evil that they are. You know, I forget the story, but there's, a, there's like a story of a, you know, a man that bought a cow or bought a horse, and the horse was helpful, and, but the horse you know, fell on the owner's son, and so it's a good... Anyway, I'm going to butcher that. You know, anybody know that story I'm talking about? But it's like, oh, thank God, that's good. Well, hang on. The story keeps going, oh, that's bad. Oh, no, no, that's good. Oh, no, that's bad. Like from the same horse, you get several different occurrences, some good, some bad, and, and it's like, no, just, just let it play itself out and wait and see. Let it play itself out and wait and see. Even with like what's going on with the election 
Or, you know, here's the thing. I'm not going to put a nice little bow on this and tell you how to think about this. What I'm wanting you to do is open up your ears, open up your hearts, let the Word of God speak to you conceptually, and let it sink down into wherever it may apply for you. Are you with me? So just do that. For just, just you Put your antennas up. Open up your heart. Ask the Holy Spirit, teach me. In fact, just do that. Holy Spirit, teach me. You know, he's the teacher. Preachers, we just stand up here and run our mouths for a while and hopefully do something to unlock a door in your heart and you let the Holy Spirit take over from there. We're dancing fools, that's what I say. <laughs> Fool for Jesus. So fighting for what is righteous doesn't mean you attack the evil. Like, could we send a note to everybody on Facebook? <laughs> Here's the other one. When you try to understand the truth by attacking the untruth, you won't find peace and you'll not be settled in righteousness. Now this goes, you know, in my mind as preparing this for this week, this goes toward injustice and tragedy tragedy and loss and all the stuff that we face in life that a lot of times gets blamed on God when you seek to look at the negative to understand the positive or when you seek to look at the lie to really understand and dissect, that's one of the reasons I don't like what's traditionally called inner healing in church. Or there's different methods and modalities that have been developed to go, you know, and, and, and it's an unfair accusation because I'm sure there are good inner healing practitioners or ministers out there that do build up the new man. But, but in general, the idea of inner healing is, let me go after what's bad. Let me go after the past. Let's go dig up the dead man and figure out why the dead man stinks. And if we can figure out the cause of the stench coming from the dead man, then we can get you to put on the idea of the new man and then experience what newness of life. It's like, just leave that dead man buried. Leave that old nature buried. Put that stuff in the past. Now, there is cause sometimes when there's trauma or abuse and you have a difficult time moving forward. I get that. You know, counseling can be appropriate where you go in and you help people release and forgive. I, I understand that, and I'm, I'm thankful for that type of thing. But in general, it's typically if I can figure out what's wrong with me, then that means what's right with me will then have an opportunity to take over. And, I, and I, I approach inner healing or ministry from the wheat and tear perspective. Let's nurture the wheat. Let's cherish the wheat. Let's take care of the wheat. Let's sh let the light shine on it. Let's water and seed it. Let's take care of that. There, there's going to be weeds. If you hadn't figured out that by now, there are going to be weeds. And even from this finished work kingdom mindset, when we believe that the potential is that you experience life on this planet as it is in heaven. I mean, Jesus prayed that. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Like that's our full expectation that we can experience that. But along the way, there are weeds, aren't there? And we've got a choice. What are we going to focus on? You know, the, the only thing that you get out of this message today might be, man, I'm just going to quit focusing on the negative because it's going to grow. If I focus on it and I think about it. Now, what's difficult is when you have a blaring, obvious negative. And, it, and it's, it's, it's proper for you to process it, whatever it might be, whether it be loss or difficult in anything it might be. That, that's the problem. And so what we have to understand about ourselves is when we encounter those things, your heart receives, your spiritual heart, receives information from God and from the world and meets in the middle there, and you get to choose which perspective you're going to let rule your life, that which comes from the world or that which comes from God. In fact, and we've gone through this thing on the past couple of Wednesdays, Wednesday nights, uh, they've done these tests about even the physical heart. So do you think that'd be helpful? Who was in here? Maybe I should quickly explain this test. Let me see what time we got. You guys want to hear about a scientific test or just keep going? Sure. It's great. It's great. Oh, you're from the physicist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me explain this real quick. All right. 
So this test was done by, I forget which institute did it, but the HeartMath Institute has taken it and applied it for different, different other, in different other areas. And they've coined this phrase, the electrophysiology of intuition. Which, you know, you think about that's kind of like saying the science of magic. <laughs> that, like that's the paradox, the electrophysiology of intuition. And so what they have realized, the conclusions of this study is intuition can be measured energetically in your body just like your thought patterns in your brain can be measured, right? So the idea is this. You've got a person, a subject sitting, and they've got electrodes, their brain, and their heart. And what they're trying to measure is the communication between the brain and the heart. What we know about the heart now is it actually has neurons. Your physical heart... And see, when I, and so we, we can understand that which is unseen. We can clearly understand that which is unseen by that which is seen. Like that's a principle in understanding the kingdom. What is that? 1 Corinthians 2? What is that? Somebody help me out. What passage is that? Romans 1.20. Uh, so, so when I bring up these kinds of studies, it's not to, to it, it, what it does is it, it shows me Okay, from observing this physical thing, I can get a glimpse of how the spiritual side works. You have a physical heart and you have a spiritual heart. Your spiritual heart is new. If you're born again, you said yes to Jesus, God gave you a new heart, a new inner man, a new core, a new nature, if you will. This is all in Colossians 2 that the old man or the, the body of sin was removed and he put in you a new heart. So the physical study on the heart is this. Imagine a person sitting there, electrodes, brain, heart, and what they're doing is they're, they, being the scientists, have a computer with a screen in front of this person, and they've assigned a short, a small program to display images on the screen in front of this person, and then they're measuring the electrical response from the heart and the brain to these images. So they show you an image, your brain and your heart have responses and they measure it, right? So think about this. I mean, like an EKG you do, you sit down and you put those, anybody ever had an EKG? They put those electrodes and they're looking at your heart. That's actually not measuring your heartbeat. That's measuring the electrical impulse coming off of your heart. Your heart is sending out a signal constantly. And your brain also, your brain is electromagnetic in its thought pattern. So when your brain thinks, there are charges coming off of your brain that can be measured. And to the degree that in any given person, negative thoughts has a, have a consistent pattern as well as positive thoughts have a consistent pattern. So in other words, when they, measure, when they observe the results of this person looking at these images, they can tell based on the consistency of your responses, you are having a positive reaction to this image or a negative reaction to this image. And to the degree that that person has emotional attachment to the image determines the intensity of the reaction. Now here's what they found that's fascinating. An image would pop up, say, of, a, of flowers, or clouds, or a snake, or a car wreck, you know, so they'd get balances right, and they'd do enough to get a set data set for these people to determine this is this person's pattern here, the positive or negative, these associations. Now, the thing that's really interesting is this. The heart electrically would respond before the brain did. And then they found that the heart would send signals to the brain and inform how the brain would respond. Like we think, we think with our brains. Like when you encounter anything, your brain responds first and then it affects the rest of your body. We, first off, we, most people don't even know that your heart has the capacity to think because it has neurons. That's what neurons do, process and think and remember things. So the, I keep saying here's the fascinating part. This is the real fascinating part. <laughs> the computer randomly selected the images on its own. The scientists weren't even picking which images would be displayed. The computer itself would assign the images. The heart would respond before the image was displayed. Once the image was displayed, then the brain would respond. 
consistently about six to eight seconds before the image was displayed, the heart would have an electrical response. And it was consistently measurable, positive or negative, and more intense based on the degree of emotion that the subject had associated with the image. They call that intuition. We call it gut feeling. It's measurable that you in some way are aware of what's coming at you before you encounter it. This is, like, this is scientific. This, is not, this wasn't even a Christian thing that did the study. So then your heart, in the way that it responds to that, before it even encounters it, informs your brain. And then your brain affects the rest of your body. So what they, their conclusion from this is that the flow of data is heart, brain, body. Not brain, body. Heart, brain, body. Now think about what that means spiritually. Where God pours out His love into your heart, Ephesians 3. Where His light is shed abroad in your heart. Your spiritual heart is constantly aware of God. What if in your heart you chose to be aware of God before you encounter anything? Because physically we see your heart's responding to everything that's coming at you before you ever even really even know it's coming at you. Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book called Blink. Anybody ever read Blink? Or maybe you read The Tipping Point? Malcolm Gladwell, anybody who knows who Malcolm Gladwell is? You should read his stuff, yeah, really good stuff. Um, so what, is that, what in the world does that have to do with what we're talking about today? I think in your heart, in your inner man, in that new you that God gave and remade, that new creation reality that you live within, you have a choice. You know, Paul prays that I pray that the eyes of your heart are enlightened. Your heart, you have a choice on what you're going to look at in your inner man. Are you going to look to God or are you going to look to the world? When you face tragedy, when you face loss, when you face difficulty, your heart is seeking data and information, and it's aware, and it's going to tell everything else how to operate. Which one do you want to be responding to first? Like, so think about this, right? Let's say something's coming in your life. God is speaking to you about it before you ever even encounter it. Now, you might could avoid the opportunity to walk into whatever it is that he's trying to warn you about, or he's preparing you of how to handle it. You know, you think about 9-11 when the Twin Towers fell, and there's like, a, like less than a third of the people that they thought originally calculated were supposed to be in that building because you just kept hearing so many stories of people saying, well, you know, I just kind of felt like I wanted to stay home, or I felt like I wanted to go in late. I wanted to swing by my kids' school and have breakfast. So many stories came in that thousands and thousands of people weren't there. Why? I think God's speaking to everybody. You know, reigns on the just and the unjust. Believers just have the added capacity of the spirit of the living God within us to help discern his will intimately and personally rather than just intuition. Does that make sense? I think that was actually, I don't know, the physicist, A plus B negative C, B negative. That's not a grade. I don't know, I saw this. That's not good. Anyway, um, I, I, I like that kind of stuff because it demystifies spiritual understanding. You know, because we, to try to connect with God spiritually seems so challenging, difficult. And I'm not saying that we can quantify every aspect of God, but He's more relatable than we realize. He's there. He's with us. He's consistent. And He's comforting and speaking to us. And we have a choice on what we're going to do on the inner man to, to respond to what's going on out here. So, we must look at life through the lens of redemption and restoration. And I'm going to get there. I'm going to end on the idea of redemption. I'm going to end on the idea of God is seeking to restore. Even that which we think is lost, it's never lost if it's been redeemed. So, this is a little off topic, but I don't want to leave you hanging. This is Jesus' explanation in Matthew 13 of the parable of the wheat and the tares. It touches on end time. This is not a message about end times, but it may add to your understanding about end times and maybe uh, kind of deflate a little bit of the anxiety that may be getting built up around end time language right now. 
I mean, everybody that's a prophet is calling this and this, and you know, everybody's got it all figured out, and it's like, I love the... Pray for me that I don't despise prophecy because it's easy for me to slide into that because I just see so much stuff. We'll just call it stuff. All right. So here we go. Matthew 13. This is an explanation. Then he left... So Jesus is specifically explaining the parable of the wheat and the tares. So then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed... The good seed is the Son of Man, the field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom, and the weeds are the people of the evil one. Anybody know any weeds? Careful. Careful. They may be a wheat. We don't know until they bear themselves out. I tricked you. (laughs) But, But honestly, we're quick to label people as a weed when they may actually be wheat but it just hasn't borne fruit yet. And that doesn't mean you question their salvation because of the lack of fruit. What I would question is the capacity to which they have experienced God's love. The enemy sows them. The uh, the enemy who sows them is the devil. Now, there is language in this that's a throwback to the offspring of the fallen angels back in the days of Noah and you know there was this mixed bloodline and God wiped that out and reset you know the whole Nephilim thing I need to do some teaching on Nephilim I haven't done that in a long time anybody want some Nephilim teaching we'll do that next year we'll get through the year so the harvest is the end of the age and the harvesters are angels now watch this this is this is interesting it, it let's just read it as the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire what who are the weeds what are the weeds Okay, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man, now, now imagine this. This is, this is very interesting to me. I hope to you. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom. Now, wait a minute. There's weeds in his kingdom? There's tares in his kingdom? How'd they get there? Where is his kingdom that these weeds might be in there? Well, if we really look at the kingdom is increasing and advancing, we realize that his kingdom is now. You know, we are in him. We have been delivered from the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of his dear son. We are in his kingdom now. Now, is this the full expression of his kingdom? Of course not. But it will be at a certain point. I don't, these are just nuanced things that I think about. So the Son of Man will send out His angels and they will weed out of His kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. God will send His angels and they will remove everything that causes sin and all who do evil. Is that not what it says? Well, when is that? I don't know. Can we get that tonight? You know what I mean? Now, some people put this in the realm of rapture. Maybe. It almost sounds like a reverse rapture. The angels come and take all the bad out. We might need to rework of how we think about the future. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. I'm praying for hearing ears because I don't fully understand that. But I see it. I see what it is, and I, to me, it's a hopeful expectation. Now, so that's the end-time aspect of it, and we'll just kind of let that stay where it is. But there's a principle in this also in regard to wheat and tares. Even dominion people in their eschatology who think that it's up to the body of Christ to manage the earth in such a way that we usher Jesus back in. Like, if you haven't encountered that theology, that might sound a little confusing to you. I don't fall in that realm. That, I don't know that the church is going to get to a place where it affects the world to the degree that all of a sudden the kingdom is revealed and we realize, oh, he's been here all along type thing. Like, that, like that's kind of the mindset in diminutive theology. There's, there's different versions of that. 
But, um, but what this does, so specifically on verse 31, what this does is it gives me a hope that everything's going to be okay. Right? Are you with me? Now, is it okay now? Well, sometimes it is. Sometimes it isn't. Some of us have things in our life that are not okay at all. Like, it, like even to the point that maybe life itself is not okay. But remember, that which is deemed, is not, redeemed, is, is never lost. So, you know, I'm, I'm pausing more just because I want to let these things kind of seek in. I feel like the Holy Spirit has said today, let me do some teaching, which doesn't mean that I'm the Holy Spirit, but I'm putting these words and ideas out there and the Holy Spirit's teaching. Amen. Just keep your heart open. The Son of Man will send out His angels and they will weed out of His kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. I take great hope in that. I really do. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know when that is. I don't know the timeline and the chronology of how all of that happens up until the resurrection. The whole thing about the weeds being bundled up and thrown into the furnace, to me that sounds like the great white throne judgment at the end when all are resurrected before him. And if you have the son, you enter into your eternal reward. And if you don't, you are cast into the lake of fire. That, it sounds like that there. But if this is right before that, I, I don't know. But this gives me hope. I pray you as well. So, um, again, fighting for what is righteous doesn't mean you attack the evil. And it doesn't mean that we settle for injustice either. You know, it doesn't mean that we don't pray to see the miracles of God in our lives. It doesn't mean that we lessen the Word of God down to the level of our experiences. Because a lot of times we do that. And a lot of denominations are stuck in that because there's not a consistent display of the power of God in the church that much. Sometimes there is, sometimes there's not. I mean, we pray. We pray and pray and pray. We prayed for Elena. We prayed. Her family prayed. People that love her prayed, you know. And we, I was convinced that girl was going to wake up. We were talking to her. Maybe I've read too many near-death experiences, but, you know, you read those experiences and there's somebody's watching the scene unfold. I felt like she was watching. And Andrea was saying, come back. And we prayed for about five hours, maybe, in terms of when it first started. And, and, it, and that, man, I'm, that's hard. That's difficult. But did God not say, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover? That we'll raise the dead? Yeah. We didn't do it that day, but I don't put the blame on him. And I don't really put the blame on us either. No. It's just a matter of, you know, we're talking about this Wednesday. And I, I didn't plan to go into all this, but I think it's good um, it's just on my heart, you know, like in those kinds of situations, in my mind and in my understanding, God is like a coach. So like the team, right? Anybody ever been on a sports team and you got your coach there, you know? The coach works with the team and gets them as prepared as he can to go play. And when that team goes out to play, they do the best job they can. They execute together as good as they possibly can together. But if they lose and they come off the field, the coach isn't taking anything away from them. The coach isn't beating them up for losing. What does the coach do? The coach typically says, well, these are the things that we're going to work on, and we're still a team, and let's go get them next time. I think that's God. He's like, come on. This is what's possible. But if you don't experience what's possible... Don't think that the coach is rigging the system so you don't win games. He's for us. The potential is there. The, the potential is all things are possible for those who believe. Now, what if you're getting ready to go out and participate in whatever you've been coached to do, and all you're focusing on is what you're not good at? You got the weed mentality. You know, I, I wrestled, and my mom taught me visualization. 
go out on that mat, see your hand raised before you ever even wrestle the match. And you just go out there with the confidence, right? And you see these athletes that talk about it a lot. There's a UFC fighter, Conor McGregor, you know, like I love that guy. But he talks about dreaming. He's like, they'll interview him after a fight. He's like, I saw that, I've already seen this. This is, I've built this in my dreams, you know. But what if, now, but there's a bunch of people that do. We do that. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. We build our expectation based on what God says is possible. But if we don't experience it, you can either get lost in the weeds or you can say, I'm going to keep going. I know God is not against me. I know God is for me. I know that he is not testing me and giving me temptation and trials, not testing in the terms of externals. The way that God tests is internal. He asks you questions to see how your heart's going to respond. God's not doing things externally to you to see if you pass tests. He's strengthening you inwardly. That's how he tests. And are, 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 we going to give, are we going to get lost in the weeds? Or are we going to grieve and, move, and continue moving, you know? Some things you never move on from. Don't allow the injustice or tragedy to overtake the good in your heart or the good in life. You know, I was talking to Andrea about Elena's service and this idea that keeps coming up of love lives on. That was, was that her actual middle name or you just call her Elena Love? It's her actual middle name, Elena Love. Love lives on. And, and Andrea was talking about, you don't, we're not putting a period on her life. It's not an end. She lives on. And she does. And we're heartbroken that she's not living on here with us, but we know she lives on. Absolutely lives on. And could be living on here. That's a promise that God gave us. And, you know, I, I don't want to avoid these topics. I mean, I know it can be uncomfortable and difficult, but, you know, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is life. And we are the body of Christ representing our God on this planet. All things are possible, but we don't always experience it, but it's not his fault, and it's not our fault. It's not about blame. It just happens. Life happens. And so, you know, it's about not making judgments. And that's another aspect that I see coming out of the parable of the wheat and the tares, the wheat and the weeds. Don't judge. Don't judge yourself. Don't judge others. Don't judge the circumstance. Don't judge God. When you judge, you're making a decision on what it means and how it's going to affect you for the rest of your life. And, and that, that heart study that they did, the heart would respond more intensely if there was an emotional association with the image that it encountered. You have things that happen in your life that are intensely emotional. The more emotion associated with an event, the more capacity it has to redefine your life forever. Even physically, your heart is changes shape by your emotions. This is another study that I read about. So like when you have different kinds of emotions because they are uh, biochemical, you know, hormonal, your heart actually changes shape subtly and affect your heart in different ways based on different emotions being coursed through your body, the, the, the chemicals that shape those things. And so if you have anger as an emotion consistently or depression or fright or whatever, it's some type of negative emotion, it is, it's actually a, affecting the shape of your heart. And your heart being subjected to that type of, elect, of a, a biochemical input on that regular of a basis, if it's shaped in such a way that it's stressing one aspect of your heart physically, muscularly, you're prone more to heart disease or heart attack or something like that. You know, the, the, the emotions that you allow to abide within you affect your health and can even lead to heart attack and things like that. Or even how your heart processes the, 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 the movement of blood within your body. You know, that... Peace guards our heart. 
man, we have to, we have to make every effort to stay at peace. Every effort to stay at peace. That's what we fight for. We fight to hold His reality in our hearts because it's more real than the temporary. Even though it's real now, it's not eternally true. You know, there's a difference between reality and eternal truth. Don't allow the evil to define the good. Ephesians 1, 7, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Redemption is this. This is the definition. These are three different... It's a very, it's, there's a lot to the definition of redemption. These are three aspects. These words might be too small to read, but I just wanted them all on one screen. This is out of the Thayer's Greek lexicon, which is just a more expansive... Uh, lexicon than the than like the uh, Strong's Concordance. So these are three different definitions of redemption. One is so sometimes different aspects of a word apply in different settings, but across the board, redemption always applies this way. Everywhere in the New Testament, metaphorically, it's defined as the deliverance affected through the death of Christ from the retributive wrath of a holy God and the merited penalty of sin. Praise God. Do you know what that's saying? That's saying you are forever delivered from the penalty of sin, which is, and not just outside your body, but, yeah. You are delivered from that. Now, does that mean we should continue in sin so that grace may abound? God forbid. In this life, sin bears its own fruit. God's not mocked. That which you reap, that you will sow. Right? Don't forget that aspect of it. But in terms of how God treats you, never, ever will you experience the wrath of God because of your sin. So should I run out and sin? Well, I hope not. I hope you live well within that freedom that you've been given in Christ. I want to, don't you? And then the other aspect is deliverance of the body from frailty and mortality. Think about that. Redemption. Deliverance from the body of frailty and mortality. I mean, death ain't so bad. It hurts here. But what is the hope? What is the eternal truth afterward? Liberation is experienced from the sin still lingering even in the regenerate, in other words, born again, and from all the ills and troubles of this life. That's redemption. In Him, we have deliverance from the ills and the troubles of this life through His blood. Now that's true statement, but that might not be your experience. But you can believe for it if your heart will have the capacity to do so. Because your heart is looking for something to respond to before you ever even think about it. Train it to respond to God first before anything else. How do you do that? Take the word. You know, I, I sent out a blog this week talking about the mystery of the kingdom of the leaven of the word. And somebody sent me an email. They were like, oh my gosh, I have misinterpreted that scripture my whole life. I'm like, well, no, there still is. Jesus does warn against the leaven of the Pharisees, which is works righteousness uh, and righteousness through law keeping. But the leaven of the kingdom, the leaven of the word of God is like the yeast that gets put into the dough or the, or the flour and you got to get that leaven in every aspect of the dough, or the flour, or else that dough is not going to rise evenly. How many of you make bread? You ever find the dead flat spots because you didn't get the yeast all the way through? You know, some of it's more dense than it shouldn't be. Yeah. I don't make bread, so I hope I got that right. I don't know. You're, the look on your face. Yeah. She's like, yeah. And then God spoke this to me. Nothing God redeems is ever lost. 
Nothing God redeems is ever lost. Man, so many people live in grief. Like constantly. Stand strong in God's promise of redemption. So let me ask you this. All that we talked about, the wheat and tear mentality, the biophysical stuff that you think about, which I love that stuff, knowing what redemption is, knowing that it's in the blood of Christ, where can you put on that redemptive, restorative lens in your life? Like, where do you need to put on those redemption goggles for your heart first and also your thinking? Like, what part of your life feels lost? Are you with me? What part of your life is their legitimate grief, but there's still a redemptive element to it? And which one are you going to look at? Because they're both growing, and they're both going to grow. Which one are you going to nurture so that you reap that harvest? And then think about others. You know, this is a big deal. This is something that's on my heart big time right now. Be aware of how you're affecting other people. Now, don't take too much responsibility in this in, your, in any given situation. Like, it's not your responsibility how other people think and behave. But you are planting seeds. You are sowing into other people's hearts and minds and into their lives based on how you handle different situations. Be careful who you complain to because you might be disrupting their opportunity to experience redemption and to live within redemption. Be careful who you voice your opinions to, especially if the opinion is about something that means something to that person because we could be sowing discord and division and, and rob that person of the opportunity to experience life where God may have planted them. So we ourselves, are we sowing weeds or are we sowing wheat? What are we sowing? Because you know, it goes beyond just what we're experiencing. What are we sowing? And, and I pray that everyone has a something personal, whether God has spoken to you or you've just made a decision, I'm not going to be negative or I'm going to not dwell on the negative, whatever, whatever it is it might be, just take just a second and affirm to yourself, this is what this means to me. This is something practical that I'm going to put into my life because it's, it's going to bear fruit. One way or the other, it's going to bear fruit. It's either wheat or weeds. Which one do you want? I don't want to get stuck in the weeds. Amen? Amen. Stand up with me if you would, please. You know, as, and as you're aware of that, as you're aware of what God may be putting on your heart in this moment, Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're the teacher as our prayer team comes forward. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're the teacher. We place every expectation on your word to bear fruit in our lives to the point of unlimited potential. But if it doesn't, we still rejoice. We still stand with you in your promise of redemption, and we rejoice in you. We don't water your word down to the level of our circumstances we continue to believe and know that you are good and you're only good. And we do take responsibility over that which we are sowing into our own lives, our family's lives, our friends' lives, and beyond. Father, thank you that the church wakes up. Our strategy is love. Our strategy is love. That which you said would affect the world is our love for one another. And may we wake up and set aside all of the stuff that divides us in this world, connect with each other in that spiritual level of oneness in you, and live from that place. 
I don't, I don't think it's a, an impossibility because I believe that's what you would be leading your church to do. Father, we thank you. We are, we are co-laborers with you. We are ambassadors for your kingdom. We are your children. Jesus, we love you. We trust you. Now, just one more time, ask him to just give you a picture of what it looks like to live in this place of being redemption and restoration focused. Maybe even there's a specific issue that you need to let this filter into in your life, that you let God touch it. Holy Spirit, we invite you into our lives, into our hearts. We give you everything that we are. We trust you and we love you. We thank you that you are with us, that you are leading us and guiding us into all truth, that you are showing us things to come. You are reminding us what the Father taught us, that we interpret life through your love for us. Thank you for redemption. Nothing that is redeemed is ever lost. May that define our inner world. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. And thank you to those of you who support Forward Ministries financially. You truly are changing the way the world sees God. You're helping people detox from performance-based religion and experience God's love for them. We're committed to helping you renew your mind so you'll experience transformation and move forward in every area of your life. I pray you're making this heart journey. Visit my website at clintbyers.com for hundreds of free teachings and articles that will empower you to renew your mind and put on your eternal identity in Christ. I'm especially excited about my tools for transformation that have original music and modern technology designed to help you slow down and connect with the Spirit of God in your heart. I'd like to invite you to partner with Forward Ministries. Help us continue to spread the gospel and develop resources that are empowering people to grow in their identity in Christ. Thank you again for joining me. I pray God's blessings and promises over you and your family today.